245 years ago, 245 years ago, July 4th, 1776, that is when our founding fathers signed the Declaration of Independence. This was a formal declaration that what were the 13 colonies desired independence from British rule. Now, of course, the British weren't ready just to take our word for it, take the signed document and hand over what they viewed as control of the continent. They, were, they put up a fight and there was years of war, the Revolutionary War that followed. What we're about to see this morning is that in the weeks, months, and years leading up to the Declaration of Independence, the signing of that, everyone in those 13 colonies did not agree that it was in America's best interest to sever from Great Britain. So Americans disagreeing with each other is nothing new. In fact, this is a freedom. It's actually, we have a freedom today to disagree with each other. We have a freedom to even disagree with our government. There are some countries where that's not allowed. That would be against the law. Against the law. We're also going to see that it was arguments from the Bible, arguments from the Bible, in part, even in large part, that won public opinion to the side of desiring and fighting and demanding for independence. There was a, a piece of writing that in the 1700s version, we'd say, went viral. There was a piece of writing that went viral in the late 1700s that made the case that the way that America was being governed was actually against God's ways, and we should not stand for it any longer. We're also going to see that historians point to that document as key in bringing the nation together for independence. What we do know is that we enjoy freedoms today because of decisions and actions that were made nearly 250 years ago. We also, most of us would admit, that we take some of these freedoms for granted because we don't know what life is like or was like without these freedoms. And as you saw today in the, the story, the video story of immigrants, anyone who is an immigrant who's here or you're watching, or maybe your parents were immigrants and they've told you the stories, something you have a greater appreciation for what we have in this country because you know or you've heard the personal stories of what it's like to not have these freedoms. And you know that we should not take them for granted. But it is challenging to grasp the value of a freedom that you do not know life without or the cost to obtain. It is challenging to grasp the value of a freedom that you do not know life without or the cost to obtain. So I want to give you just a little bit of historical context. And as I talk about some events from history, I want to just let you know that I'm fully aware that the events that we're going to touch on briefly in the next couple minutes, I know that they're far more complex than we have an opportunity to get into this morning. And I also know that for many of us, we probably haven't looked at these or talked about these since we were in elementary school or middle school. And some of us are now measuring the time that we, since that occurred, elementary and middle school, not just in years, but in decades. So as we talk about some of these things, some of us are going to go, oh yeah, I remember my history teacher talking about that. I remember looking at the picture in my U.S. history book of that event. So prior to the Revolutionary War, America was 13 colonies governed by Great Britain, where the leading authority was a, 
a king, a king. You can imagine, maybe we can't, but let's try. Let's try together, okay? Imagine the confusion and frustration of being ruled by a king who is on an island 3,000 miles away, and the only way to communicate back and forth is by ships sailing across the Atlantic Ocean. So you have an inquiry of the king or of parliament or the prime minister. You write it down. It's sent across the Atlantic Ocean. Takes weeks to get there. They receive it. They draft a response. They send it back. You have a clarification. You have to send it. I mean, you can imagine. That's what, that's what America was dealing with. That's what it was like to live in this country, far away from the people who were supposed to be governing this country. Americans were subjected to taxes established by England, but they had no representation to oppose or debate those taxes, and the colonies had very little influence to say how those tax dollars would be spent. So there was a series of events that fueled tension between the colonies and the British, and here in those 13 colonies along the East Coast, two sides began to develop. The British were here, and they were occupying the colonies, and the British had loyalists. These were people who believed that it actually was in the colony's best interest to be aligned with the British, that there were military protections, that there were trade advantages that came with being part of the British Empire. These were loyalists. On the other side, there were colonists who didn't necessarily believe that we should be entirely separated from Great Britain, but that there should be more privileges and more rights for the colonies. So those two sides were forming and developing. The rebels were pushing back. In 1770, 1770, so this is six years before the Declaration of Independence was signed, there was this historical event called the Boston Massacre. The Boston Massacre. British soldiers occupied the city of Boston, and the rebels would do things to agitate or irritate the loyalists. They would do things like vandalize the stores that were owned by loyalists. They would try to intimidate uh, those who were known to be loyalists. And this tension escalated to a point where there was a street brawl, and colonists surrounded a lone British soldier one soldier all by himself. Well, this didn't last for long, and soon that lone British soldier had backup. And multiple British soldiers responded, and there in the streets of Boston were these British soldiers and the colonists, the, rebelli the rebellious colonists. Well, a shot was fired, then multiple shots were fired from the British soldiers, and in the end, five colonists were killed and six more were wounded. This tension escalated to a protest in 1773, a, so now we're three years before the signing of the Declaration of Independence. A protest in 1773, you probably learned about this in history class, the Boston Tea Party. The Boston Tea Party. Remember what happened at the Boston Tea Party? This ship enters Boston Harbor, and it is loaded with crates of tea imported by a British company. And in protest, colonists board the ship, and they dump hundreds and hundreds of crates of tea from this British import company into Boston Harbor. Well, this was not received well by the British government, and so they imposed new rules on the colonies, specifically Massachusetts. 
From that moment, the government power that did exist in the colony of Massachusetts was taken away. The port of Boston was closed, and Massachusetts no longer was able to prosecute British soldiers for any crimes that they committed that were against the colony's laws. And not just in Massachusetts, but throughout the colonies, all 13 colonies became subject to another new rule, and that was that the government, the British government, could seize private property. And some of you are nodding because you, now you remember your elementary school teacher talking about this. They, be, they, could, they gained the right to seize property for what purpose? To house British soldiers. So if you had a warehouse, you weren't using it, the British government could seize it and they could use your property to house British soldiers. The initial pushback by the mainstream rebellion was not to sever completely from Great Britain. It was more of a, let's try harder to get along. In the beginning, those who called for complete independence were actually considered radical outsiders. Historians point to a single document that transformed the demand for independence from a fringe argument of radical outsiders to a mainstream movement. This is fascinating, to me anyway. There was a man named Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine, English-born, actually spent most of his, his life, early adulthood, in England. Somehow, when he lived in England, in London, he met Benjamin Franklin. Pretty sweet, to meet the Benjamin Franklin while Franklin is over visiting England. So Payne then moves to the colonies. He moves to America after the Boston Massacre, after the Boston Tea Party, and Thomas Paine settles in Philadelphia, and he begins to observe what's happening in the colonies as a result of being under British rule. Remember I said that we're gonna see that it was actually arguments from the Bible that in part, even large part, that led to the public opinion being shifted to mainstream demand for independence. A little bit of side note about Thomas Paine. He believed in God, but was not necessarily a Christian. He is what we would describe as a deist. Yet, even with that understanding, he uses the Bible to compel Americans to seek freedom from British rule. <laughs> Paine argues that having a king is an idea from the devil. And he points not to British history in making his case, he points to biblical history. Watch this, this is a direct quote from Thomas Paine's 47-page pamphlet called Common Sense. Government by kings was first introduced into the world by the heathens from whom the children of Israel copied the custom. It was the most prosperous invention the devil ever set on foot for the promotion of idolatry. Wow. The Bible is the primary source of Thomas Paine's argument for American independence. Our Old Testament records that God's people back in biblical history, they wanted to be like other countries. And in order to be like other countries, they wanted a 
king. They wanted a king. For example, Gideon led the Israelites to military victories, and they wanted to make Gideon the king. Thomas Paine quotes Gideon's story in this pamphlet, Common Sense. In the writings of Thomas Paine, he quotes Judges chapter 8, Judges chapter 8, verses 22 and 23. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. In a moment of victory, the people wanted Gideon to lead them. Now, here's what's messed up. They said, we also want your son to be our leader. We want your grandson to lead us as well. This is called hereditary succession. Hereditary succession. It's where you get to be the leader, not because of what you've done, but because of who your relatives are. And when you really pick this apart, it becomes very weird. It's like, I want you to lead, which may or may not be a good decision, but also, I want for my child to be led by your child. I want for my grandchildren to be ruled by your, great, by your grandchild. I want my great-grandchildren to be ruled by your great-grandchild. Wow. Payne directly confronts the British monarchy using an argument from the Bible. Here's another quote from this pamphlet, Common Sense. Payne writes, we claim brotherhood with every European Christian and triumph in the generosity of the sentiment. We claim brotherhood with every European Christian. Even though, Payne says, even though we oppose the concept of the government, we stand with the Christians. We stand with the Christians who are in England. In fact, we stand with all the Christians in Europe. This is still true today. There are governments that we as followers of Christ oppose because of the way that they persecute and punish Christians. Yet we stand with the believers who are in those countries. We as men and women who follow God, we as followers of Christ, we stand with Christians all over the world, despite what their governments might do. Now, to the one who may have thought, if we're going to separate ourselves from Great Britain and their king, well, then we need a king of our own. America should have its own king. I love what Thomas Paine writes next. But where, say some, is the king of America? I tell you, friend, he reigns above and doth not make havoc of mankind like the royal brute of Great Britain. Payne contends the king over this land. It's not going to be a man or a woman on the throne. Our king is going to reign from above. It's God on the throne. That would be a really a great place to clap. <laughs> Let's not put a person in a, a position that was intended for God. Psalm 47, verse 8, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Psalm 93, 1, the Lord reigns. 
He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Psalm 10:16. the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish in, from his land. Pain argued for a government established by divine law, law as described in the word of God. Our nation was at its best, is at its best, and will always be at its best when our laws are connected to, based upon, and aligned with God's word. See, now we're flowing. This is good. This is good. Putting a person in a position intended for God leads to failure. Putting a person in a position intended for God leads to failure. Here's what's incredible. Thomas Paine wrote this 47-page pamphlet. This is encouragement for anyone who believes that you can change the political direction of our country with your Facebook posts. Thomas Paine writes this 47-page pamphlet written for the common reader, and he, there, there were 500,000 copies that went into circulation, 500,000 copies. In 1776, the population of the colonies combined was 2.5 million. So 500,000 copies in colonies with a total population of 2.5 million. That means there was enough for one in every household not even counting copies that may be shared from one household to the next. Historians point to this document as key in persuading the nation to rise up for independence. Some of you are already fact-checking this with your phones right now. This document, Common Sense by Thomas Paine, moved the people, moved the concept of independence as the cause of fringe rebels to mainstream. It's hard for us to appreciate this independence because we weren't there. And today, it's hard for us to grasp the concept that we could be under the control or the rule of the British. It's challenging to grasp the value of a freedom that you do not know life without or the cost to obtain. So when it comes to American history, You may know a lot about the Revolutionary War. You may have read a lot about what it was like before the Civil War and the tension that led up to the Civil War. You may know what was at stake when the U.S. made the decision to enter other wars in conflicts. You may have read about, you may have lived oppression that led to equal rights and civil rights for all people. So you would say, because of what you know, you are worried or even afraid when you read about what's happening in local governments, state governments, or Washington, D.C., because you see freedoms that previous generations fought and died for are now in jeopardy. American freedoms, what life was like before those freedoms, what it costs to obtain those freedoms, our understanding varies widely even in this room. Some of you know a lot. Others, if we were honest, we'd say we probably should read more. We probably should know more. Well, we know various amounts of information or varied amounts of information about America's past and 
our understanding varies on what it's like to live without political freedom. Here is the shared common experience known by all people. The shared common experience known by all people. Every person knows what it's like to be separated from God by rebellion against him and his ways. It's called sin. All people know this. It is experienced independently. While Christ died on the cross for the freedom from sin for everybody, it's a decision that no one can make on your behalf. We would say that we have freedoms in America because someone fought on our behalf. And if you served in our armed forces, thank you. Thank you for what you did to protect the freedom that we have. To be under sin means that God has established a right and wrong in the world, his holy law, and every person is guilty of breaking or violating God's holy law, Romans 3, 9. We have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. All are under the power of sin. The entire human race. All people know what life is like separated from God. Christ paid the cost for freedom from the penalty of sin. Jesus, early in his public ministry, he returned to the village where he grew up, to Nazareth, his boyhood home. In the local synagogue on the Sabbath, Jesus is there, and uh, he asks for the scroll of Isaiah. And there in the synagogue in Nazareth in front of his hometown, Jesus begins to read from the scroll of Isaiah. And in reading from the scroll of Isaiah, Jesus makes the very bold assertion that he is the Messiah in the way that he reads from the scroll of Isaiah. Luke chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. This is Luke quoting Jesus' words in that synagogue in Nazareth. Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus had attracted followers who were absolutely convinced that Jesus the purpose that this movement was developing was for Jesus to become a political ruler to overthrow the Roman government to elevate the political position of the Jewish people. We know that the mission of Jesus Christ was so much bigger than coming up against a single empire. God the Father anointed Jesus to bring good news to the spiritually poor. What does it mean to be spiritually poor or in spiritual poverty? It means emptiness, apathy, boredom, no purpose, guilt, anxiety caused by lack of relationship with your heavenly Father. That's spiritual poverty. God the Father sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to proclaim that captives will be released. This does not mean that Jesus came to release the prisoners who are incarcerated at the penitentiary. Jesus came to set free those who were held captive, those who are held captive by the power of sin, so that the blind will see, that those who do not realize that their sin separates them from God, that their eyes will be opened to realize their need for restored relationship with their heavenly Father, spiritual blindness. 
Jesus was sent so that the oppressed will be set free. This is not oppression from a human dictator. It's bigger than that. Jesus came for freedom from sins, sins that cause crushing oppression to the human soul. Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. America won freedom from overseas rule after the Declaration of Independence and the Revolutionary War. Christ died for freedom from sin. What we know is that every wrong was not made right when this country declared independence. What we also know is that we are better as a nation when our laws move in the direction of biblical values. What many of us would say is that this generation and the generations who follow after will regret, will regret decisions that lead America away from biblical values. The problem is not that we need to bring more American culture and politics into the church. What we need is to bring more of the message of hope and Christ to America. We have the freedom to speak up when our government considers or makes decisions against God. Let me ask you a question. Do you know who represents you in local, state, and national government? Do you know who your city council person is? Do you know who represents you in Congress? Do you know who our senators are in Oregon? Do you know who uh, represents you at the local, state, and national level? Some of you do. If you do, that's great. If you don't, find out. Write the names of those people down. No matter what their political party, I encourage you, let's pray for those people. Pray for the people who represent you in local, state, and national government. You may also want to write to them, send them an email, call them. We must be people who vote, and maybe God is even compelling you to run for political office. We need to pray that God will raise up people who love Jesus and that they will stand firm on the word of God as they represent us at all levels of government. In making the case for political freedom, Thomas Paine wrote this, ye that oppose independence now, ye know not what ye do. Let me translate for you. <laughs> you who oppose independence now, you know not what you do. What Thomas Paine recognized is that there was a critical moment. There was a window of opportunity, and the time was then. The time was now, that moment in 1776, a time for America to stand up for independence. There was a time to stand up. Paine's intent was to get people to claim freedom from Great Britain. When he echoed the words of Jesus Christ, Paine wrote, you, oppose who, independence, you who oppose independence now, you know not what you do. Paine very intentionally echoes the words of Jesus Christ on the cross. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. So our freedom from Great Britain, that's been settled and done for more than 200 years now. What may not be settled for you this morning 
is freedom from sin. And for you, this is a moment. This is a moment not to be missed. May I invite you all over this room just to close your eyes for a moment and have a personal one-on-one -on -one moment with your Heavenly Father. There's someone who came here today, perhaps on an invitation from someone else, and your intention is to celebrate America's freedom, and we celebrate America's freedom today. But as you've listened, as you've listened to God's word being preached and taught this morning as you've worshiped with us today, what you realize is your personal need to declare freedom from sin. You've, you would say that you've experienced what we describe as spiritual poverty, anxiety, lack of purpose, guilt, all because of separation from your loving Heavenly Father. You would say, I've been held captive by sin. You would say, I've been spiritually blind to my need for a Savior. Praise God, today is a day for you to declare your spiritual freedom. And as Thomas Paine saw that there was a moment when it was time for America to stand up, I believe today is your moment to stand up for, for freedom, freedom from sin and victory in the name of Jesus Christ. May I ask as I look across this room today, who in this room would say today is a day that I would like to declare Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If that's you today, would you lift up a hand and look at me in this place? You would say today is the day that I want to declare freedom from sin. Today is the day that I want Jesus Christ to be my Savior. If that's you, would you just lift up a hand and look at me right now in this place? How many would say that today? Father, for the one who desires to give their life to Christ today, hear their prayer. Whether you're here in this room or you're watching online, all you need to do in this moment is to have a personal conversation with your Heavenly Father. Say, Father, I realize that my sin separates me from you. Tell God that today is the day that I declare freedom. Tell God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to set me free from the captivity of sin. Tell God today your eyes have been opened to spiritual blindness, and today you realize your need for a savior. And right now declare, today is the day I declare Jesus Christ as my Lord. Today is my day of turnaround, and I'm not going back to that yoke of spiritual slavery anymore. Today is my day of freedom. Father, thank you for each one who gave their life to Christ today. Thank you, Father, for freedom from sin that comes through the name of Jesus and the name of Jesus alone. Father, we thank you for this nation, a nation where we have the right and the privilege to worship. We do not take this freedom for granted. We know that there are nations where things have changed very rapidly. 
where very recently there was a freedom to worship. And because of a change in society, a change in government, the free right to worship has been compromised. We pray for those nations, that the freedom to worship would be restored, that people could gather in a place like this and lift up the name of Jesus without fear of punishment or persecution. We also pray over this nation. Father, wake us up from any spiritual blindness. Wake our nation up. May we see that a country that is based on the law of God is at its best. Protect our nation. Raise up voices, Father, from sea to shining sea of those who will stand on the word of God and declare the name of Jesus Christ, even when it's not popular. Father, this church, we might say, what can we do? Well, we can fight. We can fight spiritual warfare in our prayer. May we be known as a place as a church faith community that prays for our city, prays for our state, and prays for our nation, that the name of Jesus Christ will be lifted up and that all will hear of the Prince of Peace.